Ruach Kodesh to speak to our hearts. Elohe Avraham, Elohe Yitzhak, Elohe Yaakov, Hashem Yeshua Mishikenu, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and God of Jacob. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we come before you today, Abba. Desires for you to speak to our hearts, to change our lives, that we would be more like you. are weak, but you are strong. Lord, we don't depend on our own strength or our own might. We depend on your gracious goodness and your mighty power available to us. So, Father, help us. And we ask B'Shem Yeshua Mishikainu, God's people said, Amen. Amen. Title of the message series that we'll be doing for the next few weeks is Metamorphosis, Transforming Your Life. And today I'm going to be speaking about transformation, a whole new world. Now, from the title, you might think this message is about tikkun olam. And I guess I I could have went that way, but it's not. The concept of transformation fills the mind and heart with hope and possibilities. The thought that we could be transformed is truly amazing and encouraging, right? That God could take us from who we are to who he wants us to be. We could look at the patriarchs and God absolutely transformed their lives, right? He took them on a journey of not only self-discovery, but divine discovery. And as they began to know more and more about God, they changed and their lives were made more full and complete, And so God has the same promise for us. When people walk into a lumberyard, they don't usually think of houses, right? Yet a pile of wood in the right hands can be transformed into a beautiful home. In the same way, a person's life in the hands of God could be transformed and a whole new world of possibilities could be opened up to that person. And God sees us as that home filled with wonderful finishes and luxury. Often we can't see beyond our current state, but the good news is God can. And God is a God who transforms us by his mighty power and by his grace. Over the next several weeks, we'll be looking at the possibilities that transformation affords the believer and how our lives can be transformed from a struggling caterpillar to a beautiful butterfly. Do we have that? Okay, we're going to go ahead and just roll this transformation. Hope it works.
Notice the struggle. Notice the shedding off of the old. Wow, right? That's a beautiful thing that we could witness in nature. But you know, the Word of God talks about our lives being transformed. A metamorphosis that takes place in us. And like we struggle, so don't be discouraged if you find yourself struggling through life. Know that God is doing something. And you notice that the you know, caterpillar had to sh- you know, shed that old self to become the new and the same is true for you and I. In Tehillim, the psalmist wrote, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous ways in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. I want to tell you that God leads us in the way everlasting. The way he does that is by transformation. And transformation begins at Yeshua's feet. The transformation that we dream about in every area of our lives begins at the foot of Yeshua's sacrifice. That sounds really grandiose, but it's true. I could say that with absolute confidence because the scriptures tell us that God is concerned about every aspect of our lives. Look at me. You need to understand that. Because if we think God is not concerned with us, right, it's easy to think that we're struggling in vain. But he is. In Tehillim 37, verse 23, it says, The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail. Say every detail. Every detail of their lives. Now, When you're going through it, when you're struggling, understand that God delights in every detail. But that does not mean 
Just like he's concerned with every detail of his creation and that metamorphosis that we just witnessed from that caterpillar, which I kind of think is a little on the ugly side in comparison to the butterfly for sure. But as God is directing the steps of that transformation in detail, there was plenty of struggle. But with that said... In order to get started on this transformation, we must begin with Yeshua. Yeshua is the change agent in the lives of mankind. The very beginning of transformation begins with being born anew. Every person, if they want their life to be transformed, must be born anew or born from above. Actually, the term born again though popularized by the Gentile believers in Yeshua, is in fact a thoroughly Jewish concept. And if I could use the word that has been popularized in our current uh, media cycle, it's been hacked and taken over, but it is thoroughly Jewish. Matter of fact, I'm going to read from the Jewish Encyclopedia. It said renewal, it says renewal of a man's nature by casting aside the impurity of sin which cleaves to him from his former life, thus turning him into a pious and righteous child of God. The idea of man's regeneration was first expressed by the prophet Ezekiel in chapter 36. I will sprinkle clean water upon you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. It goes on to say, it was probably suggested by the rite of ablution, which is cleansing by water, which was connected with every conversion and signified a change of the whole man. Exactly as Naaman the proselyte, after bathing in the Jordan seven times, became clean, and his flesh like that of a child, they go on to say, the expression used by the rabbis for the person who underwent a change of heart through repentance and conversion is therefore Beriah HaHadashah, a new creature. The verse the people which shall be created to praise the Lord, is explained in the Midrash on the passage. Thus the Lord, thus, I'm sorry, the people who shall be reborn through repentance of their sins shall praise the Lord. It's talking about being reborn through repentance and a heartfelt connection to God. And it is either referred to the messianic future, the generation to come, or to the annual regeneration on Yom Kippur, which by the blotting out of the old year's sins renders Sukkot the first day of the reckoning of sins. And it goes on to say, the proselyte who casts off the impurity of idolatry and turns to the God of life becomes a new creature. Is that not what the Brit Chadashah says happens to us? Old things pass away, and behold, all things become new. We become reborn from above. 
where we were once separated from God, we are reconnected to God through something he does. He who turns away from uncircumcision and becomes a Jew is like one who turns away from the grave and requires cleansing, was the maxim of the Hillelites. Hence arose the halakhic rule that a proselyte is like a newborn child whose family relations are no longer the same as before his conversion. It is therefore more than improbable that Nicodemus, now he's quoting the new covenant here, that Nicodemus, a member of the Sanhedrin and a leader in the synagogue, should not have understood the words of Yeshua, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. On the contrary, this idea of a new birth and the term a new creature used by Rav Shaul, I messianized that, with reference to people coming to faith in Messiah are directly borrowed from the rabbinical schools. So it is a rabbinic thought. So when Yeshua was saying that, he was consistent with Jewish thought that yes, we must be born anew. We must have a change where we decide to change through repentance. And as we decide to repent, God supernaturally does a change in our heart. Because as you can see from the butterfly, um, the butterfly couldn't change himself. There was a process, obviously, divinely inspired that made that to be able to happen. You see, the new birth that Yeshua talks about is rooted in Judaism. And for us to begin this transformative journey that if we're honest with ourselves, our lives so desperately need, it begins with accepting Yeshua, repenting of our sins and our past. You know what? For a Jewish person, the main thing that we have to repent of is denying Yeshua and his messiahship. And we have to accept that he is the Messiah of Israel, the promised Messiah, and repent of our sins, and the transformation will begin. Look what it says in Kepha Aleph. And I want to say this is important because I would be naive to think that every person in this room today has truly been born anew. And you can read the story in Yochanan. When you're born anew, change happens. You transform. Now, yeah, you, you might have struggles in areas and from time to time, right? Struggle and wrestle, yeah, that's normal. But there is a fundamental change that happens, just like you can't deny the birth of a newborn, can you? Yes, that newborn will struggle in the growth process, but you can't deny that a birth took place. In the same way, when we are born from above, you can't deny that a change happened. The Talmudim of Yeshua were changed. When we accept the sacrifice of Messiah on the tree, we are changed. Our lives are changed.
You know, because we could get into, so easily get into the group of a religious experience. And religion, anyone can practice religion, correct? That's something men can do. You could come and you could say prayers and you could sing songs and you could stand and you could daven and you could lift hands. You could do all that. You could read the Siddur. You could do all those things. But there's one thing in this process that Yeshua is talking about that you can't do. You can't make yourself born anew. You can't make yourself just like Nachtiman, Nicodemus in English, um, could not do of himself. He said, you must be born anew. Born from above, touched by heaven. Something only God could do. Just like only God could cause a human being to be born, right? As he ordained procreation. So only God could cause us to be born anew. And my question is simple. Has that taken place in your life? Because it's very possible that you just stumbled onto something. You went to a congregation and began to enjoy the community. And, you, and you, you, you continue to go through the years and you get into the flow of the community. But what I'm saying is it's really important that we have been genuinely born from above. Kepha Aleph says this, Praise be God. Father of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah, who in keeping with his great mercy has caused us through the resurrection of Yeshua the Messiah from the dead to be born again into a living hope. He has caused us. See, the sacrifice of Messiah wasn't for no reason. It was so you and I can be born anew, reconnected to the divine. Not in theory, not through religious practice, but in reality in our hearts. Answer this question. Look at me, everyone. Do you know that you know that you know you are connected to God? That's the important question. That's the important question. And the good news is everybody can be by recognizing the sacrifice of Messiah and accepting the provision of atonement that he provided. Because he goes on to say, be born again into a living hope to an inheritance that cannot decay, spoil, or fade, kept safe for you in heaven. Meanwhile, through faith or through trusting, you are being protected by God's power for a deliverance ready to be revealed at the last time. Rejoice in this, even though for a while you may have had to experience grief in various trials. Anyone have a trial or two going on in your life? Even gold is tested for its genuineness by fire. The purpose of these trials is so that your faith or your trust genuineness, which is far more valuable than perishable gold, will be judged worthy of praise, glory, and honor at the revealing of Messiah Yeshua. What is he saying? That if you've truly been born from above, the trials of life that, you know, I can only speak for my life, they're tough. They're challenging. You can only get through those successfully if you have genuine faith. 
those trials prove our faith. Is your faith real? Do we turn tail on God every time things get difficult? When things get challenging, do we just throw in the towel? No. Our faith is proved genuine by going through trials and hardships and understanding that through it all, God is good. Okay, that is an indication that we have been truly transformed and born anew from heaven above. That's important, guys. That's important that you could say with full confidence in your heart that, yes, I have been born anew. It's not a Christian idea. It's a thoroughly Jewish idea. After you become a child of God, through that rebirth, then we must come to grips with the fact that each of us must surrender our lives to God. How many people want to be transformed? I do. I'm not, you know what, I am so, let me say two things. One, I am so grateful to God. I could not repay God for all the kindness he has shown me and my family and my life. Could never do it, right? But with that said, I also know that, I know there's more. And I thank God for what he's done, but I know God wants to do more through me. More transformation. But for that to happen in my life, and for that to happen in your life, you have to come to grips with the fact that you and I must surrender our lives to God. Say surrender. So it's not only the acceptance of what Messiah did. It's now surrendering to him. Because I want to tell you, even the concept of surrender, some will argue, well, that's not such a Jewish idea. And I'll get to it later that, of course, it is. Because the Brit Chadeshah is thoroughly Jewish, all of it. Surrendering our lives to God is what we each must come to terms with. This requires true faith in Adonai through Messiah in order to elevate his purposes for our lives, hear me, above our own. I want to tell you something, a phenomena that I see happen in the body of Messiah that concerns this rabbi a lot. We come to faith in Yeshua, and it's all divine. Like I said, we are born from above, not by anything we can do. We merely accept, right, that God did it through the Messiah. And he does something supernatural in our heart, meaning that it starts by divine caveat, divine intervention. And usually, if you're the average believer, you experience an initial wonderful, you know, some people call it a honeymoon period in God, where that reconnection is so fresh and so real, and you hear the voice of God so clearly, and you feel so close to God through prayer and through worship and through the Word. But often what happens, and too often, and know what God does in that time? He heals marriages, He touches our life. He heals our bodies. He does all sorts of wonderful things. He restores our soul, just like the psalmist says. But unfortunately, after years of this, sometimes we go, we take control back from God. And what began in the spirit 
by his divine power, we start to live out in our flesh. And we start to use our own ingenuity and we take over our marriage. And our own ideas begin to prevail. And we start to do our own thing and plot out our own course in life. And we start to do that and what begins to happen? Oh yeah, we start to run into some problems. We start to hit some ditches in the road and things aren't going quite as smooth. And we now think that God is at fault when in fact what has taken place is we have ceased to surrender to God's will and way and we've begun to take over our own life again. To take over our own purpose, to plot out a new course for ourselves instead of truly remaining surrendered to God. Could you imagine what Moshe and our Jewish people would have been like if he decided, I'm not going to do this, God. Matter of fact, we, we actually do have one example, right? Which is always a problem passage in the uh, Torah when it says God was looking to kill him. If Moshe, Moshe decided that he wasn't going to submit to the will of God anymore, we'd have no Jewish people, no Torah, no Messiah. But instead, he yielded to God in his ways. That's why, who's greater than Moshe? Right? Who's greater than Moshe? Well, there is one greater, but Moshe is at the top of the list. And we know there's one greater because the Torah says there'll be one a prophet like Moshe. Surrender. In an exhortation to Timothy, Rav Shaul writes, nor don't pay attention to legends and fables and myths and endless genealogies which give rise to useless speculation and meaningless arguments rather than advancing God's program of instruction which is grounded in faith and requires surrendering the entire self to God, which requires surrendering the entire self to God in absolute trust and confidence. I wish you could just meditate on that passage for a second. What does it require? Absolute surrender. He goes on to mention this two other times to Timothy in subsequent letters. He says, I remember your sincere and unqualified faith, the surrendering of your entire self to God and Messiah with confident trust in his power, wisdom, goodness. Say goodness. If you don't believe God is good, you'll never surrender to him. Hear me. If you don't think God is good, you will never surrender to him. And that's why I'm here to tell you that God is indeed good. Matter of fact, he says it two other times and he says it the same exact way. Which first live in the heart of your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice and I am confident is in you and well. 
Then he goes on to say, And how from childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are the Hebrew scriptures, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Messiah Yeshua. And again, he defines true faith. Surrendering your entire self to him and having absolute confidence in his wisdom, power, and goodness. I want to ask you a question. Are you, do you have absolute confidence in God's wisdom, power, and goodness? Surrendering to him. Someone told a story about a war between a French admiral, the French, and... Um, In Britain. And after a splendid victory at sea, Lord Nelson confronted the French admiral who was surrendering. The admiral, dressed in all his regalia, approached Nelson to surrender with his sword swinging by his side. The admiral put out his hand to the British commander to surrender. Lord Nelson stepped back and said, Your sword first. There are a lot of people who think they could walk up and just offer their hand to Yeshua. And he says, your sword first. Surrender first. Surrender your life first. Don't we say that every week? We said it today. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Ve'ahavta. And we go in to say the ve'ahavta, right? To love the Lord our God with 10% of our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength, right? Or 50% of it because that's pretty good. Or maybe even 60% because after all, that's more than half. God should be happy with that, right? No, it says we say as Jews every day, right? With all our heart, our mind, our soul, our strength, everything that is within us, we surrender to God because we know that, and, and Shaul says it in the Brit Hadashah, we live and move and have our being in him. Not in our own wisdom, not in our own strength, not in our own purposes, not in our own plans. In him. I want to tell you that God does have a plan for your life, for your marriage, for every part of an aspect of your life. But you can't take it over. You can't say and devise a plan and say, God, kiss it, bless it. That's not the way it works. He has a plan for you that when followed will produce a tremendous outcome. You know, this message was going to be, I was going to speak this last week, but we got the the snowstorm. So this got pushed off and I've really been eager to share this with you. Because some of us are going through needless sorus in our lives. We started off by being reborn by a divine act of God. Not of yourselves. It's a gift of God lest you should boast. A divine act of God. You merely recognize that Yeshua is Mashiach and God did something in your life. But after years, you began to take over your life yourself. And start to operate on your own. And you notice that things haven't been going as smoothly. And God is saying you need to come back to that place of surrender. 
to me. True faith in Messiah is seen in our surrender to God and his ways with the entirety of our lives. You know, in the Gentile world, they sing a song. And can I say something here? Put a comment here for a second. We're a Messianic Jewish congregation, but we would be arrogant to think that the Gentile body of Messiah has nothing to offer us. Hear me. We would, that would be sheer arrogance to think that only we have something worthwhile to say about the faith. And so when you hear me use an example from uh, someone in the Gentile body of Messiah, there's nothing wrong with that. Truth is truth, period. I just needed to say that because sometimes people, oh, well, that's, you know, that's not Jewish. Well, guess what? There are Gentile believers, too, who are filled with the Spirit of God and actually have a relationship with him. Did you know that? And the Spirit of God actually speaks to them, too. You know, and that is the one new man, right? Jew and Gentile, one in Messiah. That was the plan of the ages, that God through the Jewish nation would save the world through the Messiah, first for the Jew, but then also for Gentiles who would come to faith in him. And he doesn't ask a Gentile to become Jewish. Come as you are. And yeah, God will speak to their hearts too. So it's not only Jewish believers that have something of value to offer. All people who know God have something valuable to offer. Let me get off the soapbox and get back to it. What I was going to say is there's a song that says something like this. All to Yeshua I surrender. Not some, not part, all. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him and in his presence daily live. I surrender all. Boy, that's the Shema. I surrender all and the Vahafta. All to you, my precious Savior. I surrender all. All of us would be in a world of trouble if God in his wisdom did not send Mashiach to atone for our sins, we would be lost in our sin. Who do we owe everything we are to? Friend, the job that you have, you have because God is good. Your intellectual prowess given to you by God the strength and the ingenuity you have and that you possess by the hand of God, not on your own. So to surrender to him is a wonderful thing because he loves you and has a plan for your life. Bruce Larson tells how he helped people struggling to surrender their lives to Messiah. And he says, for many years I worked in the New York City area and counseled at my office any number of people who were wrestling with this yes or no decision. Often I would suggest that they walk with me from my office downtown to the RCA building on Fifth Avenue. In the entrance of that building is a gigantic statue of Atlas, a beautifully proportioned man who with all his muscles straining is holding the world upon his shoulders. 
There he is, the most powerfully built man in the world, and he can barely stand up under this burden. And that's one way to live. And some of us live our lives like that, almost crushed by life. We walk around just under it constantly. Hear me. On the other side of Fifth Avenue is a depiction of the boy Yeshua. Perhaps eight or nine years old, and with no effort, he's holding the world in one hand. Not struggling. Not straining. Not, you know, we we like to say things like this, grinding it out in life. How do you want to live your life? Always struggling and under it and burdened and weighed down. Always, I mean, people get married and after 10, 15 years, the marriage is a chore. Friends, marriage is where God gives you a helpmate to help you in your life and they're helpful to you and you're helpful to them. Not a burden, a help. But the only way that's accomplished is when we surrender to God's way and don't take it upon ourselves and begin to craft out a new purpose and new calling in our life, a new way. You need to consider this before you say, Rabbi, you know, this surrender stuff isn't really emphasized in Judaism. Well, here's a Jewish guy called Manus Friedman, Rabbi Manus Friedman. He said this, when the Jews said upon receiving the commandments at Sinai, we will do it and we will listen, they meant we accept you, God, as you are, and we surrender to you unconditionally. We accept you as you are, and we surrender to you unconditionally. Yes, we will do it. Then Yeshua said to his Talmudim, if anyone wants to follow after me, he must deny himself, take up his sacrifice and follow me for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? Or what, would it, or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the son of man, P.S., which is a messianic title, the sign of divinity, the son of man is about to come in the glory of his father with his angels and then he will repay everyone according to his deeds. In other words, the only way to truly follow Messiah is to be all in, fully surrendered. Just like the Israelites needed to be all in, we will obey and we will, we will follow and we will do. We will do it. God wasn't cutting a deal with them. Give me 50%, we'll do 50-50, do 70-30, strike a deal. God said, if you want to follow me, if you think that I'm pretty impressive after the 10 plagues, after splitting the sea, after letting you walk through it on dry ground, after drowning the uh, Egyptians in the same water, if you think I was, it was pretty neat by supplying food for you in the desert, then follow me. 
If not, do what you will. God's looking for a complete and total devotion. And it's not a burdensome thing. It's a freeing thing. When you do it, you feel like a calf released from the stall, free. Then he told them what they could expect for themselves, Messiah speaking. Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way, to finding yourself, your true self. What good would it do to get everything you want and lose you, the real you? That was a contemporary version of that passage, but it brings it home in a new way. It gives another nuance to what's being said. If you want to be in control of your own life, to do with it whatever you please, you will really not find the real purpose for your life. Your life's purpose is bound up in God, who has a plan for you that will truly bring you joy and happiness. And listen to me. Know what that means? It doesn't mean that you're going to be miserable doing what God's purposed you to do. Because God has your best interest at heart. Do you believe that? Because if you believe that, that means you believe God is good. And he is good. He's good toward you. The truth is these things that people who have been born anew should, should desire anyway. People, if we've been born anew, changed from above, our appetite should be on things that are from above. I don't know about you, before I was touched by the Messiah, I didn't really have an interest in spiritual things. I didn't have an interest in praying, in reading Torah, in anything like that whatsoever. But he changed me. I'm going to close with this. Listen to the words of a man of God who speaks of the reality of a transformative relationship with God. Whoever has sipped this wine, speaking of his relationship, that that born a new experience, will thirst for more. For although Messiah does satisfy, yet it is such a satisfaction that the appetite does not tire of it, but is made greater. If you know the love of Yeshua as the deer pants for water brooks, so will you pant after deeper encounters of his love. If you do not desire to know him better, then you do not love, for love always cries nearer, nearer. Absence from Messiah is hell, but the presence of Yeshua is heaven. He says, do not be content without an increasing acquaintance with Yeshua. Seek to know him more in his divine nature, in his human relationship, in his finished work, in his death, in his resurrection, in his present glorious intercession, and in his future return as king. Abide intently by his sacrifice and search the mystery of his sufferings. 
an increase of love to Yeshua and a more perfect apprehension of his love to us is one of the best tests of growth. Do you desire to know him more? He's saying, you know what, because we could quench that. Don't quench it. Allow your heart to desire him more. To follow hard. Think of it. As the deer pants for water brooks, so my soul thirsts after thee. Surrendering our lives to him. The one who has our best interest in mind always, in every circumstance, in every situation, in every relationship. He has our best interest at heart. He can be trusted for he is good and his mercy does endure forever. Growth in the economy of the believer is being transformed from who we are today more and more into his image and likeness. I want to encourage you. There's two things. Make sure that you have been born anew. And if you have, continue to surrender to him. Let's stand. I want to give you a heads up, something new we're going to try. Because unfortunately, we don't always get to, you know, touch you guys and say Shabbat Shalom because some of you, you wander in at all different times. And if I'm up here and I say Shabbat Shalom, you guys are gone. So I'm going to say the ironic blessing and then me and Rabbi Carol are going to get to the back real quick while you're getting your stuff so we could greet you at least on your way out. Okay, so I'm going to give that a whirl. Today, you're going to see how fast the rabbi is. I do have a bum knee, so be gracious. <laughs> Stretch forth your hand. Shalom. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon each and every one of you and give you his sweet shalom. Father, bless your people today. Keep them in health and prosper them, spirit, soul, and body in the week ahead. And we ask it in your precious name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Shabbat shalom.